Really love the energy going on here, folks. So feel bad breaking this up. Hey, quick question for you. So your friend comes to you and says, I want to know what this Bible thing is about. But I want to know where in the world I should start reading. Where would you send them to? Like, how would you, I want to just, you know, I only have enough time to read, like, one book. What would you send them to? To get a whole grasp of scripture, to understand um, what is the story of God and humanity, the world, what is that about? Where would you send them? Now, that's an unfair question to those of you who might be new to church. But those of you who have been in church, I'm I'm willing to bet not many of you chose Song of Solomon (laughs) Uh, for the choice. And if you don't know what Song of Solomon is about, you'll, you'll soon see why that's a little ridiculous. But that is where we are going to be spending our time for the next few months, the Song of Solomon. I, I asked uh, a, a older brother in Christ uh, this week who I got to spend lunch with, like, in your, all of your decades of going to church, how many sermons have you heard on the Song of Solomon? He, he was like, I've never heard a sermon on Song of Solomon before. So buckle up, uh, strap in. We are going to... Um, Crack this cookie. And uh, it is amazing. It is, there's no other book like it. There's no other text in the Bible like it. Um, and we're in the Song of Solomon, uh, which you'll see is at its, boil it down, what is it really? It's uh, love poetry. It's uh, you know celebrating this romance between these two lovers. But our theme for the year is the way of love, the way of love. That'll come up again. That's what the uh, series theme is as well. So the way of love, we started talking about that at the retreat, actually. But we're really bringing it in in earnest this morning, the way of love. And uh, it's, it's our hope that as we preach these sermons to you, as we open up this text to you, that you would understand, you'd walk away, that we would walk away looking at this text and re- thinking Understanding its purpose in the Bible, it's not just kind of this throwaway, it'd be, you know, maybe we'll read it one day. But if you have never read the Song of Solomon, or maybe you've never read it in the way that we're about to go through it, it would shape the entire way you read the entire Bible. It would shape the entire way you understand who God is and what he loves and what his personality is like. It would shape the way you see yourself and your relationship to others. It's that important and there's a reason why it's right right at the center of your your bible like you you go what is the heart what is the most clearest picture that scripture wants to give us about what god is like and what relationship with him is like that's song of solomon there's a reason for that so song of songs considered some of the greatest poetry uh you know in secular circles it's considered erotic literature uh, doubtful that Solomon wrote this in its entirety. He might have inspired some of it. Um, it was most likely, it was attributed to his honor or maybe some of his favorite work, thus Solomon's Song of Songs, as the first verse says. You know, it was probably the top song in his playlist in Spotify, right? Most hits, right? Amy Bird notes that... Uh, Song of Songs actually contains one of the strong in it, strongest feminist voices. Uh, the feminine voice here is 
it very well may have been shaped uh, by woman or a woman um, more than any other book in the Bible. And yet it's an absolute powerhouse uh, in its ability to shock with explicit uh, love, desire, uh, pining in, in some places, even for our day and age. Right? Even though it's you know almost 3,000 years old, it still has the ability to shock and make readers blush. Uh, it's 200% passion. And it's all about the delight of the love between and celebration between these two figures about them seeking one another. And what we're to watch is the interplay between the two of them. Yeah, it's the two of them talking about what happens in between those spaces that we're supposed to imagine and understand and enter into. Um, and as we'll see in the coming weeks, it is not glossed over, though. Romance is not glossed over. It isn't shy about talking about how hard and painful uh, love actually is. Uh, I do want to note that if you have heard sermons on this or teaching on this, and maybe uh, you are not even looking for or you, you are not in a romantic relationship, this is not going to be, you know, four months of why you should get married. That, that's actually, I don't believe that's what this text is about. It's a lot more humane or human. It goes a lot deeper. It's a lot more simpler and truer and deeper than that. It's about how you and I are created for intimacy, period. Uh, it's, yes, it's using this uh, interplay between these two lovers, but it's really talking about something that's true of every human being, no matter what your orientation is here, no matter your status, no matter uh, if you're married, if you have kids, or if you're single. Right? This is a text for all of us. And the reason why we know that is because Jesus loves this text. And we're told in the Gospel of Luke that as he opens all of Scripture, he pointed to all of it, how it was about him. And Jesus uh, never had a a physical love. This was not, you know, necessarily his enactment of his life in a way, but it was about him. Jesus was single. We can understand that this can apply to anyone here. Well, let me read a passage today. Um, it's kind of the first cluster of conversations. I just want us to get used to the imagery and the pacing of it. Um, it's, you know, uh, the woman, right? She, uh, the, there's this kind of chorus of uh, others, these other women of Jerusalem uh, there or in the palace. And then he, right, uh, the object of her affections uh, that we'll see in the interplay here. And we'll read this uh, you know, we might take some sermons from this text a couple times. I'm really only focusing on the first verse here. But let's just get into it and uh, become familiar with this text. So the Song of Songs, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. She, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Others, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. She, I am very dark, but lovely. 
O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself besides the flocks of your companions? He, if you do not know, almost beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. God's word. Father, we pray that as we come to this unique text, there's really nothing quite like it in Scripture, but help us to see that all of Scripture is actually like it. <laughs> that all of Scripture, in fact, all of life is meant to be a song um, of seeking, of finding, and seeking once again, of longing and having, and then longing more until we are with you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the only objective for today is to really open up what we're trying to accomplish in the series, The Way of Love, and why Song of Songs is going to fit in like a glove for that. In the first verse, we read the Song of Songs, which is a very important phrase for us, tells us pretty much everything we need to know for how we're supposed to read this. Okay, the Song of Songs is kind of like how in Hebrew you have phrases like the Holy of Holies. It means the best of the best. It's the Holy of Holies, of course, was the holiest place in all of the temple and all of the earth at that time when they were worshiping in that temple space. So the Song of Songs is really saying it's this is the greatest of greatest. It's what uh, is ultimate in beauty uh, and what makes it the best and ultimate in beauty and theme, as we'll see in coming weeks, is because it's all about love. That is the reason why it is the Song of Songs. If it was uh, a song about strength, it would not be, or uh, maybe David's warrior prowess or Solomon's wisdom. It would not be the Song of Songs. See, what makes this the greatest song of all time, the greatest uh, thing we can, that can fill our lives and our hearts and our minds and our lungs with is the fact that it is about love. Now, I don't know about you, but right at the center of this holy book, finding a passionate love song about human intimacy, uh, and mind you, this is God telling us that this is the greatest thing. It's startling, right? We have to, I could stop the sermon there and say, go home and think about that for a week, that God is saying the greatest thing for your life to be singing, ringing out is for a desire to be fully realized in, in intimacy, to be known and to know, to be fully realized, to enjoy the richness of life and friendship and companionship. This is in Scripture. This is what Scripture is saying, that to take hold of life and to uh, you know, taste the juices of the fruit, to bite in deeply, that is what the story of the Bible is all about. Have you ever been told this? Have you ever approach scripture like this? 
See, I think a lot of us probably have approached scripture like, here's this way that I'm supposed to live, this holy life. But did you ever understand that a holy life included things like uh, pining after a lover and wrestling on your bed at night, being so alone and wishing there was someone there with you? Did you realize that is part of the spiritual life? See, this is why this could be a very interesting book that should be the entrance to understanding what the Bible and the spiritual life is about. We need to understand that this image of two lovers lost in each other uh, and see how that unlocks the rest of Scripture. We need to see how that works. Yet, even as I'm saying this, we're going to talk about love, you know, the way of love. I think what could be happening, and what I want to clear the room of, is there's a hurdle for us. There's an obstacle as we talk about love. Um, if I asked everyone to raise their hand if they didn't know what love was, I don't think anyone would raise their hand because we all kind of have the sense, okay, you know, um, I know what love is, sure. But it's a, I think for many of us, I think we could also admit it's kind of this vague sense if I asked you to explain what love is. You know, get by the stereotypical answers. Get by the kind of, you know, stereotypes that we have. Oh, love is sacrifice. Love is commitment. Love is faithfulness. Sure, sure. But how long beyond two sentences could you talk about love and your experience of it, your knowledge of it, your grasp of it? Author Bell Hooks, in her book, All About Love, believes this is true of our entire culture and society, that we don't understand what love is, that we don't have a clear answer. In fact, she argues we actually don't want a clear answer, that we would rather just talk about love in a very general, ambiguous way. This is what she writes. She says, undoubtedly, many of us are more comfortable, more comfortable with the notion that love can mean anything to anybody. Precisely because when we define it with precision and clarity, it brings us face-to-face with our lacks, with terrible alienation. She goes on, the truth is, far too many people in our culture do not know what love is. And this, is not, and this not knowing feels like a terrible secret, a lack that we have to cover up. And so we're willing to turn a blind eye to our misunderstandings our narrow grasp of what love is, she says. That, that terrible sense of feeling like you're the only one in the room who may not know really what it takes to love and be loved. Well, I'm going to go a little bit deeper, but hopefully by the time we're done, we'll all kind of have the sense that we're all in the same boat. If you're here and you're like, I'm kind of a novice at this whole idea of what it means to to love and be loved, you're in good company. See, uh, Diane Ackerman puts it, we are embarrassed by love. And she's talking about secular people, but I think this is true of the church too. Maybe specifically. We're embarrassed by love. We treat it as if it were an obscenity. Kind of like whisper it, right? We're like, oh, I, I, I need to feel more love in my life, right? <laughs> um, we're reluctant to admit it. Even saying the word makes us stumble and blush. Love is the most, and yet love is the most important thing in our lives, she says. A passion for which we would fight or die, and yet we're reluctant to linger over its names. Why do you think that is? Why is it such a hard thing for us to talk about love, 
even though it's such a powerful force in our life, its absence or its presence. See, the Song of Songs is saying to us off the bat, love is to be enjoyed with the conviction and ease of mind that it doesn't get any better than this. Christians, Jesus followers, are to be people who unashamedly say, I'm in the way of love. That my life's goal and objective is to love more and more deeply. I would say that it's impossible to be a Christian and to not be a student of love. Right? If, if, you th- if love is just kind of this thing that happens over time and it's not intentionality, you're not living rightly. I think about it this way. Uh, the Apostle John says, God is love. If you're not studying love, what does that say about your relationship with God? If you're not seeking love, if you're not trying to experience and uh, live out love more authentically in your life, what does that say about your relationship with God who is love? See, there's an inconsistency here that these writers are getting at. My guess is that many of us in this room, and this is okay because it's across the board, still operate with a very kindergarten practice of love. And what Song of Songs is going to do is it's going to take us in deeper. It's going to call us to mature. And it's going to hopefully paint a way forward for us to allow and see the depth, the breadth, the width of what love is supposed to be in a day-to-day life. Now, there are reasons why we're in the same boat here, as I said. See, developmental psychologists acknowledge that we're not born with an inherent understanding of love. That's not true. And of course, any of you who are parents of young children know that your children do not come out uh, just loving and just being able to love. Rather, they note that children are, we're all of us, we were born with a great ability to receive affection, to receive care. And by doing that, we experience and learn what love is. But here's where the problem is for you and I, as we sit here, uh, all of us were given experience of, of love and affection, perhaps with the best of intentions, but all incomplete. Let me say that again. All of us here have had experiences of love and affection in different ways in our life, and perhaps with the best of intentions, even with the best of intentions, your experience is far from complete. It is incomplete. It's not comprehensive. And here we are, in the middle of our lives. Have you given up trying to learn love? That's what the Song of Songs first asks us. That's what it's doing there. It's saying, you've somehow taken a a detour off to a rest stop and thought that was the end of the journey. Like we have, the way of love calls us far deeper, far to go far, much farther in. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, of course, once put it on the board like this, so simply and poignantly, he said this. Understanding love is one of the hardest things in the world. Understanding love is one of the hardest things in the world. So be gentle on yourself right now. If you're already feeling like, yeah, I'm such, you know, I'm so messed up. I'm so broken. Uh, I have probably have such a messed up view of what love is. Again, you're in, we're in, you're in luck. You're in good company. So, so are we. 
because understanding love is one of the hardest things in the world. And yet, if we don't take the intentionality of this year at King's Cross Church to say, we've got to get uh, our, the line straight on what love is and how to live that out, to start walking intentionally down this way of love and to make that our life's aim, we're going to be lost. It doesn't happen magically. So I'd like to invite us uh, to in- welcome you. Uh, I know some of you are new to, newer to King's Cross. I'd like to invite us as we join into this journey to resist the urge to squirm away with embarrassment that we're talking about passion or longing. All right, let's not pretend that that isn't true of us, okay? As one uh, philosopher put it, that love is behind all of our dealings and all of our, our intentions in life, trying to seek for love or find love. Let's not squirm away from that. Or also, let's not close the door of our hearts thinking that we already know the answer to love's questions. See, Song of Songs means that we have a pursuit, uh, we have a goal, and we're still not there yet. That life is meant to be running towards this goal. That is what a full life and a good life looks like. It's one that is filled with the conviction that the best thing is love, and I'm running towards it. So as one commentator put it is, Song of Songs is telling us all of life is a love song. And love is the meaning of the whole. There it is. And with the rest of our time, I'd just like to briefly show you just a a few areas that a deeper embrace of love will open up for us as we move forward to, to kind of set the table for us as we go into Song of Songs. And hopefully this week, as you think about these things, as your appetite will deepen. And by the time we come back next week, we'll be ready to go deeper into this. So the first way uh, that the Song of Songs, just the way of love opens up us to depths that we may have never been, um, is the way of love is the way to know God. Okay. A song of songs might at first seem like just two lovers surrounded in a garden imagery, pining over one another, but the shape of the entire book is actually telling you the whole story of the Bible. They think about how the Bible story of, of you, of cre- what you were created for, of humanity, begins in a garden with God, it takes us back to the Garden of Eden, to humanity's state of innocence. And it's reminding us with greater clarity than even what you get in Genesis. This is like the expanded version, right, of of what you get in Genesis 1 and 2, that this is what you were made for, unashamed intimacy, where you are known and are able to know the other, where you're fully accepted for who you are. That's what you are created for. That's what you need, whether you knew it or not, coming in here this morning, that you need to be seen and embraced and be told that you're welcome and you're liked. Not just love that you're liked and that you were created by and for love to give and to receive. That's what, that's why we're not just watching this all, uh, from our, the comfort of our living rooms, but why we make an effort to do this as a community is because we believe we're here to love. Uh, we also see that this is a picture between these two lovers of Christ and the church. And it teaches us what it means to that worship is actually supposed to be uh, ecstatic. There, it's supposed to be experiences of ecstasy here because we are ex- to experience uh, 
love with God and his love for us here in this space and whenever we are coming into worship with God. And then lastly, the Song of Songs also has this intense longing expressed to be with one another. I don't know if you were here when we did the series in the book of Revelation, but it ends, the story of the Bible ends the same way. This desire, even so, come Lord Jesus, come. And if you read the end of the Song of Songs, it ends kind of with them longing to be with one another. It actually doesn't end in this, like, they lived happily ever after. It says, you know, if you read the last, he says, let me hear your voice. And she says, you know, uh, come after me and let's, let us run away together. Right? Actually, that's the, how the book, the, the entire Bible ends. The book of Revelation ends. See, even so, come Lord Jesus is not meant to be read as a sign of a nice signature, a nice sign off. It's actually the breathless longing of two lovers whose mind is full of thoughts of just being with one another. That is the entire story of the Bible from beginning to end. It's a love story. Have you seen that before? See, the Song of Songs is a lens that brings the whole story of God and his people together, of Christ and his church, of union with God. Secondly, the second way, uh, the way of love is the way to be fully human. So the first one was, it's the way that we can actually know God. But the second way that this is going, the way of love as we study this, it's actually going to bring you more in touch with who you are, with who you're meant to be, and what your relationships ought to look like. It teaches us um, how to set boundaries correctly. Uh, It teaches us how to respond to longings that we might have within us one's realized and one's unrealized. See, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, some of us here might not identify as being a follower of Jesus. You're most welcome here. And there's something here for you too. As humans, we understand that love holds something uniquely powerful. Consider this. uh, It's a little trite perhaps, but it's interesting. Since 1978, There have been 17 different songs on the top of Billboard charts, all with the title, The Power of Love. 17. (laughs) Which tells us what? Uh, That we have a deep suspicion that love has the power to save us, to lift us, to rescue us, to change us. See, even in in, in the non-religious world, there is this deep sense that love is the greatest uh, force that can change, that can bring what we're looking for, what we're seeking in this world. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk in the previous century, and his works did a great deal to heal and help those traumatized in the world wars of his era. And Merton wrote, Love is, in fact, an intensification of life, a completeness, a fullness, a wholeness of life. Life curves upward to a peak of intensity, a high point of value and meaning at which all its latent creative possibility go into action and the person transcends themselves into an encounter and a response and a communion with another. It is for this that we came into the world, this communion and self-transcendence. We do not become fully human until we give ourselves to each other in love. 
Merton is saying that we do not become fully human until we've learned how to give ourselves fully away to another. Now, that can happen in marriage, that can happen in parenting, but it can also happen in community where we've made explicit vows to, to love one another and to give ourselves to one another, as we did on Easter for baptism, right? We're, const- we're practicing that, we're rehearsing that. That is what it means to be fully human. We're given uh, one of the greatest expressions in celebrant works about this kind of love here in Song of Songs. And if, and if, in a way, in a few minutes, we're going to do that at the Lord's table. We're going to, Jesus reminds us that this is what it means to be human, to give yourself for the other in love. Question for you then and me might be how might something we've been searching for be found in the God who offers us this gift of intimacy? What have you been searching for? What have you been looking for that you have not yet found? And I, lastly, I, I'll just briefly note, and again, we're going to unpack these in the coming weeks. I, the way of love is the way back from down the path of self-hate and self-loathing. Now, again, if you think, oh, man, is that talking about me? I, I've been pastor here long enough to know that it is not just one or a couple or a pocket of people who struggle with self-loathing, self not just this... You, self, low self-esteem is too light of a thing to call it. Um, just a lack of being kind and, and being able to receive charity and grace for yourself, of being okay with yourself in your own skin. And so as we understand what love actually is, the way of love, I believe my hope is, my prayer is that it would begin to undo so much of the damage so much of what the lies and the lack of love towards yourself has done over the years, that, God, that you would come to see that God wants you to not only delight in him, delight in the other, but also to delight in yourself. Because time and time again, no matter where you look to, what enlightened people you read or, or what wisdom teachers you look to, you'll come across one way or another the same teaching that until you, you, you are able to actually love yourself, allow love into yourself, you will not be able to love others, right? Some of you are, are frustrated at church and you're angry at church or community or a group of friends because they have not given you the love you want. But the question, the actually dignifying thing for yourself is to ask yourself, are you firstly giving the kind of love that you would want? You're capable of that. If you're in Christ, you're capable of giving the love that you want to see others giving to you. You have to first start doing that. Jesus says, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there it is. It's been there all along. But how do you love yourself if you don't know what love is? That's what we're doing here, friends. I'll end with, uh, with, with this last story. Uh, as we think about and anticipate where God might lead us in the weeks to come. Fred Rogers tells the story of uh, a wise and dear friend of his. Uh, Her name was Helen Ross. And he says, Helen Ross was a good friend who taught teachers, doctors, psychiatrists, and consulted with professionals working with children and families all over the world. 
She was one of the great people of our age in understanding the dynamic development of human beings. After one operation for cancer and some subsequent uh, therapy, Helen chose to refuse treatment when her cancer reappeared. Uh, Rogers goes on to say, One day when I visited her, I I found Helen very frail, yet interested in all that I had to tell her about our television work and mutual friends. Some of the time I just held her hand and we said nothing. We didn't need to. After one of those silences, Helen said to me, Do you ever pray for people, Fred? Of course I do. So I said, Dear God, encircle us with thy love wherever we may be. And Helen replied, that's what it is, isn't it? It's love. That's what it's all about. Helen was 88 when she died. She had spent most of her adult life working at understanding the complexities of the human growth and development, and her summation of life was that love is what it's all about. You don't need that story, though, do you? Because that's what the God of the universe I saying to you right here Song of Songs verse 1 that the greatest thing of all is love and love is God God is love so we ought to come to the table now where we can experience God's love um, and in each week maybe this will start to make more and more sense to you maybe this will start to crack open uh, some of the hardened ways that we have not seen love at work in our own life. Uh, that's our prayer as we come to the table, that, Lord, teach us how to love as you have loved me. On the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you. And he doesn't have to say the words, because I love you, because it was evident. But this is what love is, at its core, giving yourself to the other.